You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Bame, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always, just kidding, Frank is here. It's going to be great. We're going to actually record a podcast together for the first time in, I honestly don't know how long. Um, the program that we use says it's been almost two weeks since we've recorded one together, which it feels right. Is that um, possible? Is that possible? Maybe, maybe not. Um I know it's been a long time. That's that, that would it's it's we definitely recorded the game one postmortem together. Oh, you're right. Um, okay. And then and then we and then we did we did a podcast on adjustments. Remember, then like the next day, oh, or yeah, two okay, later or whatever. Okay, so then I'm yeah. I probably titled that last one wrong because the last one is titled four twenty nine nineteen, um, and this is five nine nineteen. Um, so I must have just like seen the date before and titled it wrong. So yes, uh, I guess you're right. We we have talked more recently than that, but it does feel like it's been a very long time. Uh, so I'm very happy uh, to have you back and to actually get a chance to talk to you because we really haven't done it much at all. So uh, that is a very good thing. Also, a very good thing is Himalaya. A reminder, our show is brought to you by Himalaya. You can get Locked On Bucks on the brand new podcast and app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your car, your smart device to play podcast Locked On Bucks. And Frank, uh, we're we're sitting here watching uh, Nuggets Blazers, and on the eastern side, we saw uh, Game Seven forced tonight. So. That means the Bucks will not play until next Wednesday, no matter who the opponent is, whether it's the Raptors, whether it's the Sixers, uh, they will not play until next Wednesday. So uh, a little bit of time to fill here if you are a Bucks fan. I guess uh, I would probably suggest watching some of those games back. Uh, you know, maybe watch the maybe watch the third quarter of game four. Maybe that would be uh, something you'd want to do. That would bring back happy memories. Uh, watch all of game five. Um, I don't know. I don't know wh- what the best memories would be there, but I guess that's kind of what we're going to get in today. Just kind of thinking about that series from, um, you know, a larger kind of, I guess, taking, trying to take a step back and, and kind of, you know, maybe appreciate things. I, I know you did a little bit of that, uh, for today's podcast. But um, I I guess just thinking about this, uh, I think it should come as no surprise that much of the talk today has been about the Boston Celtics nationally. Uh, I don't think anyone is shocked by that. Uh, Kyrie Irving is interesting to a number of people and a number of people in the largest media markets. The Bucks literally only taking nine games to get through the first two rounds. Not as interesting. Um, not as exciting to people. So uh, I guess after getting 24 hours to think about it, where is your head at? Um, well, I mean, look, I 
I understand. I mentioned last night. I mean, I, I get why there's a fascination with the Celtics and just due to the fact that there were expectations on the Boston Celtics and now they're gone. And, you know, with Kyrie being a free agent, um, it's kind of only natural, you know, the way that this game, the, the way that like, you know, we focus and obsess over free agency and sort of the palace intrigue about the NBA almost Mm -hmm. as much as the actual games. I can also understand why, you know, talking about the drama of Kyrie and, whether he sabotaged the Celtics and if he's leaving and what that means for Boston moving forward. I mean, look, that that's a, a much spicier topic than, wow, the Bucks are awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're, you know, I, I was listening to uh, the, one of the ringer NBA shows the other day and uh, I was with uh, Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor and, you know, they, they addressed that and they said, well, well a lot of it's also just because we're going to have lots of time to talk about the Bucks moving forward. <laughs> This was actually before they clinched uh, mm-hmm. the series, but um, this is when they were up 3-1. And so that also makes sense, right? That, um, you know, the Bucks are going to remain on the radar for the actual games they're playing. So, again, talking heads, morning shows, talk radio, it, it's natural that they're going to talk about the big market team that people tricked themselves into thinking was going to be, you know, a title contender. And obviously, they ultimately, well, I mean, maybe you could say they were a contender, but they obviously... Um, just weren't as good as, and not not just the Bucks, but I mean, look at the standings. They were maybe close to as good as Philly, um, even with Philly's kind of massive changes over the course of the season. Uh, and obviously, they weren't close to the Raptors either, but let alone you know some of the teams from the West. So, um, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, like I think we we'd obviously agree, like the Celtics have been overrated and their importance has been overstated in the grand scheme of the NBA. Um, and people have been trying to trick themselves into and talk themselves into uh, the Celtics turning a corner and being what a lot of people thought they might be at the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, the last laugh, ultimately it's, uh, you know, with the Bucks and it's with Bucks fans and, uh, you know, uh, hey, if people want to talk about, you know, the disappointing nature of the Celtics and kick dirt on Kyrie, you know, eh, it's, it's, that's okay. I don't mind that discussion either. <laughs> at least at least we finally can put to bed the Celtics are turning a corner. Gordon Hayward looks like his old self and is going to be a force. You know, we can we can finally uh, stick a fork in all that BS and, and just move on and say, yep, the Celtics were what they had been. Uh, you know, and the Bucks were what were who we thought they were. Maybe not what everybody in the national media thought, but um, you know, we got the right outcome. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the Bucks keep it going. Um, but fortunately, we don't at least have to hear about the Celtics and in terms of people overstating their their importance anymore. Uh, somebody the other day sent me the link to um, one of our podcasts from I, I don't even know when it was. I think before the season, maybe during the summer. It was either when like rankings were coming out or, you know, people were talking about the Celtics and how good they are. And Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton. Yes. It is it is me just taking a a dump on Jason Tatum and his future. And everyone like like he like sent it to me. He was like, uh, you must be feeling pretty good about this take during this series. And it's like, well, you know, like I'm not trying to see the downfall of anyone, but yeah, like the the guy that is literally 
the best in isolation in the entire league, uh, or I shouldn't say literally, but among the best in isolation in the entire league is Chris Middleton. And the guy literally the worst in isolation in the entire league is Jason Tatum. And it's just like, you know, just this kind of world where, uh, everyone thinks Jason Tatum is Chris Middleton and everyone thinks Chris Middleton is Jason Tatum. Like, Oh yeah. You know, he, he forces too many long twos and you know, like he's, he's not really as talented as people think. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like Chris Middleton actually takes like the right shots and actually makes them. And he's actually good in isolation and Jason Tatum just, you know, takes step back fadeaways that are bad shots. Um, but beside the point, uh, like you said, you know, those conversations are for, for, for other people. If they want to have those bearing the Celtics, that's totally fine. Um, that, that doesn't have to be our conversation. Um, and I, I guess I can stop bearing them for now. Um, so, uh, I guess, uh, so I, by the way, did we just fall into the trap of only talking about the Celtics we did. first? I think, I think, I think I just did the same thing. So, um, yeah, we, we probably need to make sure this is the last we talk about the Celtics on this podcast until next year, which I'm, 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 I'm fine with, although I do, I do enjoy dancing on the Celtics graves too. So, uh, so that's also fun. All right. So I guess some, some stuff I've been thinking about with, with this series and, you know, going into it, uh, I think, and I guess going into the playoffs overall, I think we both thought that the Celtics were the team that posed the most most uh, risk to the Bucks, the 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 toughest matchups, I, I think, and they the Bucks eliminated that team in five games, and. I do understand that, you know, a lot of that, and I shouldn't say a lot of that, at least part of that is, you know, the Celtics just being the Celtics and, you know, not getting their, their stuff together and, you know, just, just kind of being a team that has huge ups and downs all season. But, you know, they had a huge up to start the series. Like they, they had a good moment to start the series they could have built on that. But I guess one thing that, you know, people keep talking about is like, oh yeah, you know, like, yeah, you, the Bucks broke the Celtics' will, and then all of their bad habits like kind of came like came to the to the forefront, and it was just like, well, you know, like you have to do that to them, like you have to make them that team, and to make them that team, that means you've done something, and I, I guess that's kind of what I think gets lost in. And much of like the larger talk about this is like the Bucks actually really did some stuff. Like the Bucks decided that, you know, after one game, they were going to start switching one through four. And Mike Boonholzer constantly uh, tries to underplay just how significant the adjustments are, constantly telling us that, you know, it's not that big of a switch. It's not that big of a thing. Um, but, you know, switching for this Bucks team is something that they didn't do. Uh, I don't know how many people at this point have cited the stat on Synergy that they, they were the second least switchy team in the entire league during the regular season. So it, it very clearly is not their nature, and they did it. And you know, we, we talked for a week about whether or not the Bucks were going to keep Brooke Lopez on the floor. And I think you and I especially, but I think most people that watched the Bucks this season tried to warn everyone like, hey, Bud is going to do everything he can to keep Brooke Lopez on the floor. The Celtics are not going to be able to play him off the floor because 
one, Bud just probably won't let it happen. And two, like Brooke Lopez is a better defender than you think you than he than you think he is. Like he can actually move his feet. He can actually do some things. And having him on the floor like is very helpful for this Bucks defense. And you know, like I, I just kind of keep going through some of these things that were major-ish concerns going into the playoffs. Like, okay, will Bud actually make adjustments? He did. Will you be able to play Brooke Lopez off the floor? They didn't. Will the the Bucks have enough offense? Will uh, you know? Will they choke when it comes time to actually get things done? And they haven't. And like you know, like you just keep going down the line, and you know they've kind of, or at least through nine games, they've held up, and and they've answered the call. And I do think I'm getting to the point where, you know, I did a bunch of podcasts on the way through, uh, you know. Uh, leading up to this where it was just like, and leading up to the playoffs overall, where it's like, you know, in the end, am I going to be like, I'm an idiot. I got, I overthought all of this and gave other teams too much credit and didn't give the bucks enough credit. And, you know, like if, if there's a spectrum on one hand of me not giving the bucks enough credit and on the other hand, giving the bucks too much credit, like I think I've been leaning towards not giving them enough credit the, the whole way in these 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 two series, I think, in some ways, at least, push me even further to that direction. That you know, I undersold what they could do this entire year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they didn't have the toughest first round series, but um, you, you know, I I think there are a lot of people that still thought the Boston Celtics could win the East. Uh, I was looking at the um, ESPN like series predictions from before the series. Most people had the Bucks. Um, there was only one, only one person that had the, um, had the bucks in five. I think that was, uh, Andre Snelling. Is that his name? Uh, he's one of the fantasy guys. Um, a number of people, including Nick Friedel and Ramona Shelburne. Uh, I should trot out the, the, the list so we can do a walk of shame on everybody who picked the Celtics. Um, but you know, there were a number of people who picked the Celtics, uh, Tim McMahon, I think picked the Celtics. Uh, but it was most people picking the Bucks. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, this was a, a team that maybe not in terms of overall quality, in, in terms of proven quality, just from what they've done the regular season, what we ultimately saw from them in this series. But as you said, a team that matchup-wise could test the Bucks in ways that maybe other teams wouldn't. Um, and I think that's ultimately, you know, what we said about the the, the Pistons series you know, we kind of viewed it as like, well, what, we, what, did, what did we learn about the Bucks in this series? Not much. Um, I would disagree with that a little bit, though, because, I mean, beating any team four straight times, let alone a team that, you know, won 40 or 41 games, wherever they won, um, that's not easy, right? I mean, it's not easy, even if, you know, they were missing Blake for a couple of those games. Um, you know, to just beat them soundly game after game after game after game, it's not easy, um, especially, you know, when we, again, had not seen the Bucks in this position of being the best team in the league, um, of having home court throughout, of having that expectation that they haven't had before. Um, so to see them do what they did in the first round, and then on top of that, to, you know, maybe have that stumble in game one in part because of that first, first series being so simple and not really, you know, challenging them. We talked about how Andre Drummond, like, basically was the, like, anti uh like you know practice mode for for getting ready for al horford like you know you could get away with all sorts of yeah i don't say bad habits but you could 
do really an exaggerated version of what the Bucks wanted to do in terms of dropping Brooke Lopez when Andre Drummond's on the court, and they had to play completely differently against the Celtics, which made it obviously a, a sharp contrast that you know I don't, I don't think they were necessarily ready for in Game One. But to bounce back with that, and this is something I made a point about yesterday. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of the, this Bucks team trying to, I mean, ultimately win a championship, that's the goal of this team. Uh, again, that's really difficult to do regardless of, you know, whether it's the Warriors or Rockets or, I don't know, maybe Nuggets or Blazers coming out of the West. Um, regardless of who you ultimately have come out of the West, I mean, to beat either Toronto or Philly in a seven-game series and then have to then beat the best team or at least the team coming out of the West in a seven-game series, I mean, that's hard. Like, to survive series after series after series, mm-hmm. I mean, just probabilistically, it's really hard. Even if, you know, even if you're favored in each series to do it, you know, twice more, it's it's really difficult. And so I think the Bucks, yeah, they deserve a ton of credit for the fact that they took their lumps in that first game. And I think ultimately we'll, you know, we'll look back on that and say that was actually probably a really good thing to, to happen to the Bucks because, you know, if they, let's say, don't have that weird first game and they maybe win a close game in that first game, I don't know what happens after that, you know, like, like maybe they do sweep them, right? Maybe they have an easy series, you know, they go up 2-0, maybe they lose the game in, in Boston, but they're ne- they're always really con- in control. Then you go into the East Finals and you wouldn't have had that experience of being behind the eight ball and being in a, a real must-win situation, even though game two was only game two. I mean, that was a must-win in a lot of ways, psychologically, you know, if nothing mm-hmm. else, it's a must-win and a must-win under the circumstances of like, well, you can't just do what you always do. Like they did have to make some changes and I think ultimately, um, you know, Bud is, is a huge winner from this series because I think he answered a lot of questions, rightly or wrongly, that people had about his willingness to, to adjust and adapt and play the chess game that coaches have to do in a seven-game series, which you don't have to do in an, in an 82-game regular season. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, again, it, and it's kind of that, that tension of, like, you really want to give them a ton of credit, but then it's like, you know, fortunately we have a few days off yet before the next series, but then you also almost want to be careful. I mean, I'm like almost paranoid about getting too high on the buck because it's like, you know, oh, crap, like I don't want to just see this team lose in these finals. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's an interesting question. Like what is the expectation now? I mean, I think not winning a championship is going to be disappointing in the sense that I think the Bucks really have a chance to win a championship. And um, I, I'm not sure how much we talked about this, but the day of the trade deadline, I can vividly remember I was um, traveling for work. I remember stepping out of the, I can't remember if I was stepping out of the elevator or stepping into the elevator in the lobby of my client. And I distinctly remember after this was after the Miritich trade had, you know, been reported and we, were, we all were kind of digesting that. And it like really... And again, the Bucks were already the, had the best record in the league. So it's not like the Bucks were, you know, like they've been in this position pretty much all year, at least in terms of like their dominance. But I really, I really, it just sort of like hit me. I was just like, this, like Frank, this could, this, this really could happen this year. Like it is really, like I can start really entertaining this rather than just, you know, oh, the Warriors will ultimately win, you know, or, you know, like that, that kind of feeling like, and I think now, I mean, going to these finals, like you have to think of it in terms of 
you absolutely have a chance to win an NBA championship. I cannot believe I'm saying this in 2019 that, that we're here that quickly. Um, but the Bucks can win a championship. And so, again, if they lose in the East Finals, it doesn't mean that the season was like a failure or something like that. If they lose in the finals, that doesn't mean the season's a failure. But I think as a fan, you know, I mean, Wisconsin sports fans, you know, the 2011 Brewers, the 2018 Brewers, you look at those teams and what they had left to do and the opportunity they had to win a championship, you know, the Badgers in the championship game of March Madness against Duke. I mean, you only, you know, across any sport, like you never know how many times you're going to get, ch- you're going to get chances like this. Right. I mean, I think we talked about the thunder in 2012. Nobody thought that was going to be the thunder's last chance to, to win a championship, you know, in, in the finals. And so if you're, if you're in that mix, and you know, with this Kevin Gar- this Kevin Durant injury uh, for the Warriors, I mean, who knows what that's going to mean for the West side of the bracket? You know, you just you just hope that you stay healthy. You hope that things fall right. You hope that luck favors you because, again, in a seven game series, luck can play a huge factor. I mean, look at the Philly series, like with Embiid, like just being like sick for like half the series or whatever, right? I mean, yeah, just <laughs> timing is everything, and rising to the occasion is just. I mean, that, that's so much of what this is. And again, the Bucks, I think, to their credit, have put themselves in a position where they've, they've done everything they could to give themselves the best chance they can by building those good habits and playing at a high level and earning home court. They've got Brogdon back from injury now, which is obviously a great, great thing. So they're really kind of back at full strength. Um, sorry, Pagasol. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's exciting, um, but it's like, man, like you can just – it's 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 really real now, and um and that's that's exciting, and you want to appreciate it. But then it's also like crap. It's, it's, it's like you got it, you got it. You really want to see this team do it now. I was having uh, I recorded a podcast with uh, Jay King from the Athletic in Boston today, and you know we were talking about like depth, right? Like how much depth the Bucks have, and you know like the fact that. In the playoffs, they've leaned on Pat Connaughton and George Hill. And the one thing that Jay said that kind of stuck with me was that, like, when you were thinking about the Celtics, they, like, their assets are tied up. Like, they are going to make a play for Anthony Davis at some point. So when the trade deadline came, like, they had to sit on their hands. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't actually make a deal. And, you know, it is kind of, in some ways, ironic looking back on, the trade deadline and them needing to sit on their hands and the bucks pushing the chips in and, and that being, you know, kind of in some ways uh, how this series was decided, like the bucks made a move for George Hill. And again, it was forward thinking it was for assets, but uh, you know, John horse would be happy to tell you that they thought George Hill could actually make an impact. And I'm sure bud would be more than happy to tell you that he thought George Hill could make an impact because obviously, uh, he's called him a security blanket. He just, it's very comfortable for him. Like he just, he just loves George Hill and George Hill in many ways swung this series. Like you think about that, that third quarter run in game four and well, George Hill's in the middle of it. And you think of some of the games that he had, it was, he was the best point guard in the series. And I like Eric Bledsoe was good in a number of games but you know i still think you could probably make the argument that george hill is the best point card in that series and the bucks just kind of pushed everything in and 
I thought you saw Nico Mirtich really make a big difference in this series. And like it, just thinking back, we kind of said it at the time, like, oh, wow, like the Bucks are actually going for it. Like they're trying to find a way to, to make this work. And I mean, at the time we kind of said, like, hey, this might be their best chance at a championship. And now that all these guys are playing in this way, I think it, the point is being driven even further home because Brooke Lopez has been fantastic for, for the entire year. Like who knows what his number will end up being. Uh, George Hill has been great. Uh, obviously the, the Bucks got that contract so that they could eventually buy it out and they could still sign George Hill after they do that. But I think it probably seems unlikely that George Hill is going to sign back for just a little bit of money when he's been so good in this final month. Uh, so maybe he signs with the contender somewhere. Like there's, there's just so many like small moves that the Bucks made to put themselves in this position and you're kind of seeing it, seeing it pay off right now. And yeah, I, I don't think it's crazy to start talking about championship because going into this, the Celtics series, I mean, going into the playoffs uh, a month ago, whenever it was, I've been saying for a long time now that, you know, I thought the Celtics were, were the hurdle. Like that was the hurdle the Bucks needed to clear. And once they got to the Eastern Conference finals, that it didn't matter if it was the Raptors or the Sixers, like they would be fine against both those teams because they match up pretty well. And again, I, I think both those teams are going to make it difficult on the Bucks. But the fact that I said that a month ago, I think I would be a, a coward if I if I now said like, oh no no no, no. like I, I don't know which way the series is going to go. Like I think the Bucks are going to win it, which means the Bucks should be in the NBA Finals. And uh, who knows what happens in Rockets Warriors? But you know, I, I think there is at least you have to be thinking that this team could compete in that series with as well as they've played this year. And uh, yeah, I would agree with you. It's, it's a crazy sentence to say, but I do very much think it, it is the reality of the situation. Yeah. And I've, I've kind of, I know we kind of already discussed, you know, who, who's going to be the biggest test. I mean, I think I remember saying Embiid sort of scared me more than any other individual player, yep. um, which is interesting to think about now, just because he's, we've seen such a weird kind of ebb and flow of Embiid in the playoffs, given his injury, kind of like that, that nagging knee injury and his conditioning hasn't seemed to be where it needs to be. And then he's had apparently this upper respiratory issue, which I mean, it's like he was, he was sick early in the series. Then he had that big game in game three, I guess. And then he's been like, apparently still six. And after that, I don't don't know. It's been very strange because like, you don't really, I'm not really used to, seeing guys have like illnesses that are like this extended. Um, so it's kind of hard to say like what this means. I assume if they win uh, on the road in Toronto, that he would be okay by the start of these finals. But um, I think to be honest, I think my fear has shifted more towards Kyrie just, or sorry, Kyrie, <laughs> not Kyrie, uh, Kawhi, just given the level that he's been at through most of these playoffs. And um, just because he's like, I mean, there, it's ironic I compare him to Kyrie because there is sort of like that feeling of like, well, he just he just can like make mid-range shots all day long when he's right. And there's just not a lot you can necessarily do about that because, you know, those are the shots the Bucks like to give up. Um, so I think the Raptors probably scare me more than, than the Sixers at this point. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I would agree. So not, while we're here, and we're going we're gonna to have a couple days to talk about yeah. this, but I... I don't think that's the scary thing about Kawhi. 
the defense. I think the scary thing about Kawhi, about Kawhi is he he just bullies people. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the dunk to me what separates Kawhi is that he's able to get dunks, he's able to get free throws, and then he makes those impossible shots. Like like to me it's the impossible shots that are kind of the cherry on top, not the thing that I fear. I does that make sense? Like I always feel like with with Kawhi, all of that is a very special package because it's not like like Kyrie's gonna have to go to the rack and try to make like crazy layups, which he's very good at. Um, but like Kawhi's just like gonna go through most people in in dunk in and get to the line. And to me, that's what makes makes him special in in someone to be feared. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's what the Bucks are best at taking away too. You know, that's like kind of my, which my, is my why I think ultimately I'm not like all that afraid. So like that's that's why I've been like kind of interested to see, um, like like how people kind of view Kawhi because like yeah he he does make really difficult shots but like I I think Middleton is I don't I don't know if he's the best at defending in Kawhi in the league because I don't watch all twenty nine teams defend Kawhi but I think he's got to be up there like he makes it really tough on Kawhi and and rarely gives a bunch of those free throws and dunks up to Kawhi. Yeah, it's interesting. Cause, I mean, like Jimmy Butler has just seemed too small uh, for a lot of this series. Yep. I mean, I have not watched uh, every minute of every game between the Raptors and and Sixers, but, you know, Jimmy's what, 6'7"? I mean, Jimmy's not small, right? He's not like a little guy. Um, yep. Chris is definitely a bit bigger, um, but I think the, the key with the box is, you know, Chris is a little bit, bigger and then um he has more you know he obviously the bucks obviously their scheme tends to help and and take away uh the opportunity to kind of do some of that bully ball i know i forget who it was i was tweeting with somebody who uh, about the idea of um putting Giannis on um on Kawhi, and i don't really believe that's something i don't i would be surprised do it in a million years i would be very surprised if they did that i mean they i think it was in the first game in toronto they did that a couple possessions in the fourth quarter and they just went to high pick and roll and you know Giannis was trying to like go over screens and it just doesn't you know that's just where he's like worst uh that's like his worst position is when he's having to go over screens far away from the basket um i mean obviously i think Kawhi is not going to be able to bully Giannis in the way he might bully you know anybody including potentially chris middleton um but but yeah, I mean, but but that sort of thing, right? Is is I guess the guys that scare me in some ways are guys who, you know, the Bucks can win sort of the math game against. Like they get you to take the shots that the Bucks want you to take, and mm. they can still really hurt you. And obviously, you know, Kyrie yeah. should have been a guy like that. <laughs> obviously, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And Kawhi also could could fit in that that category. Um, for those curious, three games against the Bucks this year. 37 minutes per game. Um, he scored a pretty modest 22 points per game on 426, 30%, 81% shooting splits. So certainly did not have, you know, great numbers against the Bucks during the regular season, but you know, whatever. It's just obviously a small, it's the regular small season, sample. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but interesting though, I mean, it's like, you know, if I think it will, it would be very interesting to see how the Bucks would play Brooke Lopez against the Raptors because, we have not seen them play Brooke Lopez against Marcus Gasol since the trade to Toronto. So yep. Gasol obviously can do something similar to what Brooke does. I mean, Brooke, Brooke is a much more aggressive shooter uh, and, and especially from far out than Gasol is like Gasol 
has had a lot of games where he just doesn't take many shots. Um, so even though he can knock down uh, threes, he doesn't really aggressively look to put those up. So it would be interesting to see. I mean, it, and in some way, kind of Al Horford is similar. Like Al Horford is not shooting contested threes ever. You know, he's really shooting shots from just mm-hmm. behind the line when he's wide open. So it presents some similar issues as Gasol. They're both really good passers. I mean, I think Gasol is an even better passer than Horford. So probably the Horford experience has been like a very good like tune-up for having to play potentially the Raptors. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly Brooke would help, you know, in when, especially when Gasol is not on the floor. I mean, I don't, you know, I think Ibaka has really struggled from three this year, even though he can hit from the perimeter at times. Um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see. Let's get off the Raptors. Yeah, okay. We can we can do this once we actually figure out uh, a matchup. There were a couple questions you wanted to ask. I forgot what they were before uh, you mentioned them before the podcast. What are they? Uh, so we can- <laughs> so I obviously was not in the building yesterday. So I'm just curious. Like you know, you've been in the building all year. You've been in the building for all these playoff games. I mean, how would you characterize sort of the tenor of the crowd? Um, you know, obviously you saw game one as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So comparing kind of, you know, how the how the crowds have been throughout the series, um, I mean, how would you sort of compare it to regular season, even throughout the playoffs? You know, what, what's been sort of your feeling on, on kind of the energy in the building? I thought the game five crowd crushed it. Um, I felt really bad for them on the possession with how many shots did they have? Six, five. Yeah. Um, five plus where they had a a dead ball. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So they have all those shots and the whole time, like everyone in Pfizer form was on their feet. And like, so that entire, I think that was what end of the third quarter, maybe start of the fourth quarter. Um, it was over a minute of game game time. I believe I saw somebody, somebody tweet out. So like, it was incredible for for possession. (laughs) That whole time, everyone was on their feet and like, they just needed, uh, the match to hit the fuse. Like the fuse was ready. Like it just needed the match to light it and to explode. Uh, and it, and it never came, but, even with that, I, I thought the energy was great. Uh, very few people left early, um, which obviously, like, I know people are like, oh, why would you ever leave a playoff game early? Well, you know, if it's eight minutes of Tim Frazier, um, yeah, you know, uh, but like to everyone's credit, they stuck around. They enjoyed themselves after the game, made sure the team definitely heard it. Um, so I, I thought, Game five crowd brought it. And I get so you, you know my many fan theories. Um, but first one is it's hard to cheer loud in a blowout because you don't have any skin in the game. You don't feel like you're actually like in it. And I thought game five, they pretty much beat that. The other home games, it was a little bit more difficult uh, because you, again, like you don't feel like there's, there's that skin in the game. Obviously, game one kind of shell-shocked like what the hell is happening the team i like is not good they're getting destroyed so obviously it's gonna be quieter then and then game two it's like oh right the game the team i like is actually really good and this is really fun uh but ultimately they're blowing this team out um so i i i I, i'm not gonna say i give a pass in those games but i definitely understand it these are these are long held uh beliefs i have about fan psychology um 
so there's that. And then I will say this. Um, I have heard from from other people that uh, have played in in both and, uh, you know, have have been in both the Bradley Center and Pfizer Forum that they think Pfizer Forum is quieter. And my theory is this. Um, I have yet to be to a concert at Pfizer Forum, but I have had multiple people tell me concerts at Pfizer Forum are like the best arena concerts they've been to, like the best sounding arena concerts that they've been to. And if you remember, as they built the arena, like that was something that the Bucks were very proud of was that, you know, like the acoustics of this arena are very good. And, you know, we put certain things in the ceiling to make sure that stuff sounds better. And ultimately, I don't know this. I, I don't I don't know enough about uh, concert audio uh, production and how it all works. But my guess would be ultimately that there's probably some stuff in the ceiling that deadens noise a little bit that, you know, keeps it a little bit quieter as opposed to a concrete roof uh, <laughs> that, and like just like concrete at, at the Bradley center. Um, so I will say, I do think it is probably uh, quieter than the Bradley center, but I don't think it has anything to do with like what fans are doing. Like, I, I think fans are, are largely the same. I just think that the building may not support the same level of noise creation. Yeah. I mean, I will, I'm not going to pretend I am, uh, an expert on acoustics or something like that. But it seems like this is, it's a pretty common thing that's happened when teams have moved from old buildings to new buildings. I mean, I remember they always said it about the old Chicago stadium versus the United center. Um, I know people are already prepared to uh, see a big drop off from Oracle to uh, I think, is it called chase center? Uh, the the Warriors new building next year. I think year. so. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of curious how much of it is because of like the size of these new stadiums, like just because there's more space, you know, like I just assume if you have, you know, and, and, and the bucks are a little unique in that they actually have a smaller, I mean, you know, the, 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 the they have a small building relatively speaking. Right. Um, so a lot mm-hmm. of other, you know, arenas have understandably kind of grown in size. Um, but the bucks actually have a kind of small, smaller, you know, capacity. Uh, but I'm not sure if the actual physical space is smaller. Uh, and I won't pretend to, to have any idea of that, but you know, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Like if you have bigger buildings that it's kind of harder to make them feel like really loud confined spaces, which to me is sort of, you know, kind of what, what gives uh, a game its charm. Like I, I even remember in uh, it was kind of, this is obviously a, you could say this is apple and oranges, but um, I went to high school at uh, Homestead high school, shout out Homestead in, uh, in Mequon. And when I was there, it was like right in the middle of this big construction project. And our, our gym was like a very typical, like small gym with like risers, you know, that kind of came out of the walls and mm-hmm. stuff. And then we switched to like, I mean, literally they built like a freaking field house it's that huge. had like, yeah. And it, and it had like massive open areas at the ends of the court. And mm-hmm. so it creates this just like way bigger, like, you know, space experience. And I, I remember going to a game right after I graduated, like the, the following year, I went to like the, like the Thanksgiving tournament or wherever. And it was just like, like as a fan, it just like sucked because it's like, there's no way to make it really loud there. Cause there's just, yep. you know, you, you don't have that many, you have basically a similar number of, of, of seats. 
and you have just like a way bigger space, which obviously is, you know, that, that's not, it's not comparable to the changes in, uh, in Pfizer Forum versus Bradley Center or any of these other stadiums. But, um, but I think that's been a pretty common thing, um, to happen in sports arenas just over time. Like they just physically become bigger spaces. And even if you do cram more people, which I mean, the Bucks, they don't have more people than, than the Bradley Center at this point. Um, it, it obviously is just harder to, to kind of replicate that kind of, you know, really intimate type of uh, type of feel. But anyway, um, one other question. So you've obviously also been covering the team. The playoffs are obviously a bit different. Like there's the whole podium approach to post-game press conferences for like the, sure. the, the star players. Um, and there's obviously just more media um, than, than there typically is during, you know, a random Tuesday in January. For a Bucks Cavs game or something, what's been? I don't know. Like, what? How has has covering the team changed during the playoffs versus the regular season? I mean, is it just there's just a lot more mouths to feed in terms of media? Like, are you sitting in a totally different part of the arena during games? Is it harder to to kind of talk to people? I mean, I've heard you on the during the podium stuff ask questions, but um, what's what sort of what has it been like as uh, as someone having to cover the team and somebody who's done it? during the the very quiet parts of the season as well, not during the playoff. <laughs> uh, the mic doesn't come back to you quite as much uh, when, when they're, when they're doing a podium session. So, uh, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful with the questions that you choose or the topics that you, uh, try to explore because, you know, it, it might not come back to you. Uh, so that's one, that's one adjustment, but I think it's been, it's been kind of interesting, uh, you know, to watch the team and, uh, you know, there was there was times in the last two playoff series where it was really pulling teeth to get anyone from the Bucks up onto the podium. Like you, those guys just like did not like it, and obviously they've had a lot more success uh, in this postseason, so that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but you know, there's just just been nights where like guys will go and understand that you know, they have to go up there. So like Giannis, Chris and Eric all kind of get that, you know, that's, that's probably going to be their role unless George Hill has a crazy game and you need a George Hill podium game. And, uh, then, then that'll happen and everyone will give him a hard time about having to go to the podium and he'll, you know, grit his teeth and make his way up there. But I think one thing that is, has been interesting is that, you know, I think this team is still incredibly loose. Um, I think through, throughout the playoffs, uh, we've kind of seen that. And, um, I, I think I, I've, I can't remember if I told this story when I recorded a solo podcast, but I definitely told it on Twitter. But, uh, after game two, you may remember Nico Miritich hadn't, hadn't hit a three the entire game until he hit one in the fourth quarter. Um, and then quickly like, outstretched his arms and like looked up to the sky and uh after it uh matt and i kind of got him and by ourselves and had a chance to talk to him and we were done and then i looked at him i was like uh you want to tell me and you know walk me through that hands to the sky thank god uh kind of look you gave after hitting that three and he's like oh my god it was so great you know i actually hit a three he's like I literally said, thank you, God, after it. Uh, and, uh, you know, like that was that was a really tough game. That was a game that they really needed. And, you know, Nico was that loose after it. And then, uh, like, to kind of 
compare it after game three. Uh, I remember walking in and Nico immediately like makes his way over to Matt and I and is like, I made some shots today, fellas. Like, do you see that? And it was just like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, Nico, we saw, uh, but it, it like that. And again, like that could be like more Nico than anyone else, but like, that's largely how this, how this team has just kind of been. Like, I, I think uh, obviously they, they have some level of comfort with, all of us that are around them more often than, you know, like the national media folks or, you know, like more out of towners than they normally see. But uh, overall, like this is still uh, a a remarkably loose team, a team that I think really still has a lot of fun. They obviously hold themselves accountable, but uh, I think to me, that's been, I don't want to say striking, but it, it, there, there's the possibility that you could tighten up when when the postseason comes around. You could start, you know, thinking about more about what you're going to say or not say or, or do anything like that. And you know, there really hasn't been much about of that. Like after after game one, Eric Bledsoe was was not willing to to chat with us or, or do any media. Um, obviously, because game one didn't go very well. But you know, the rest of the series, he was pretty much fine and opened up a little bit more. And like, there just hasn't really been. And again, there's been a whole lot of winning, so it makes sense. Uh, but it's kind of the balance that they've always struck where, you know, they're they're very fun, they're very loose, but at the same time, they're very serious about getting wins and, and trying to get it done. So um, I, I would say largely things remain pretty unchanged. Uh, they're they're pretty similar to, to what they were in, in the regular season, despite, uh, you know, having to answer more questions and answering questions from people they don't know and, and kind of doing a, a lot more of that here in the postseason. And that's probably what you would expect and probably the best sign for the Bucks, right? Because, you know, okay, adjustments uh, at times notwithstanding, you know, Bucks kind of are in this position uh, because of the, the groundwork they've laid going all the way back to last summer. And so, um, you know, it's kind of those things like just keep doing what you're doing, whether it's routines you don't see off the court whether it's the demeanor in the locker room you know before game practice all that other stuff um you know yeah tweak some stuff maybe switch more switch less whatever whatever the the game strategy demands but um overall i think the bucks obviously are a team that's very comfortable in their own skin and i think that that's one of the things that's kind of most remarkable about this team given that it's you know kind of a new team you know i mean a lot of these guys have been together for a while but new coaching staff, uh, some key pieces came in this year, obviously very different expectations, new position in terms of, you know, just the success they've had. But it, it does seem like there's an ease um, and a confidence in what they're doing that seems like you, you shouldn't get that <laughs> without having done more before or, or like been through more as together as a team. Um, but I think obviously that just speaks to kind of the, the, the types of players you have on the team and the coaching staff and everybody that, that they've just sort of kind of just settled in and they're just happy with, you know, they, they just have their roles and there's, you know, I don't know, they, they just haven't had to go through the growing pains really, you know, that you would have expected um, kind of coming into this season. But um, like we said, you know, they, they don't raise the banner for Eastern conference finals. Uh, and so there's, there's work to do, but obviously um, for now, difficult to, to complain much about what we've seen from the Bucks. They're eight and one in the playoffs. I think, 
I forget what it was. I forget if they won like nine straight games to end the season with Giannis in the lineup or something like that. But at this point, they have a pretty crazy run of success in games that, that Giannis has played in. You know, a lot of those games that they lost late in the year were when Giannis was resting. So, um, yeah. I mean, as like we discussed with, with our friend Matt Moore, um, you know, this team has the potential, not, not for us necessarily, but for a lot of people in the media to sort of be the team that was playing, was hiding in plain sight. And mm-hmm. obviously the more, the more they translate kind of what they've been doing all year into the same sort of success in the playoffs, obviously um, I think more people are going to take notice, but I think that's part of the, the fun part for us is that it's just sort of like, yep, that's, that's what this team does. You know, this is, this is kind of, um, uh, predictable in a lot of ways and obviously you know again new bold new world here for this team going into the east finals but by the same token um you have to feel pretty pretty good that that this is the kind of team that that can continue to elevate to the occasion and in a lot of ways because they they kind of like just treat it like every other game i mean it's a cliche (laughs) but they've done a really good job i'd say of of not letting the moment kind of overwhelm them with the exception of really that that first game which i don't know if it was really the moment so much as just you know probably getting um, I don't want to say fat and happy, but just sort of like not being prepared and, and not having had to, you know, sort of play at the level they needed to against the Pistons. But anyway, should we do a mailbag tomorrow, uh, like on Monday or something like that? Wait, yeah, I mean, we we got some time to to work through here. So yeah, I, I would say let's do a mailbag. Uh, you'll have the weekend to get questions in. Um, hopefully, I mean... If you want matchup stuff, you're obviously going to have to wait a couple days to to get those questions in, uh, which is fine because uh, we'll see what happens in Sixers Raptors. Um, but if you want to get those questions in, that sounds great. We can we can hammer that out. So we will, uh, as always, send the questions to at Lockdown Bucks on Twitter, L O C K E D O N B U C K S, or email lockdownbucks at gmail dot com. Right, lockdownbucks at gmail. It is what you would think it was. Okay, that'll be it. Um, so do all that. We'll answer some questions on Monday. Uh, we'll try to have a little bit of fun with this. Obviously, this is a it's a pretty good size break. So we're gonna have to we have to see how to how to get through this. But it should be, uh, I, I guess, you know, to the victor goes the spoils, and those spoils are a, a week long rest, which oddly might not be something that the Bucks actually like. Uh, I don't think Giannis likes it for sure. <laughs> Um, but we didn't work out so well last time. No, no, it did not. Uh, so, so we will see, but we have plenty of time to break all of that down. So remember to get the show every day, subscribe to lockdown bucks on the new Himalaya podcast and an ever expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to lockdown bucks. Thanks for listening. And remember you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on bucks. That's going to be it for us for today. For Frank men, I'm Eric name. This has been lockdown bucks. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.